You know, Kristen talked uh, real briefly about Isaiah 60. It is really important that you grasp that passage, be reading through Isaiah, but especially that because it has been spoken over us. Especially when I talk about the arise and shine part, because we've, over the last several weeks, we've covered many aspects of that. A lot of times, arise means to get out of a, a state of slumber to, to start the day. We've also talked about how we'll set an alarm clock, and that alarm clock is to go off in our future so that it awakens us so that we can start a process. Some of us like to sleep through our alarm clocks, but God has still given us alarm clocks. This word that I'm sharing with you today is a little different of a word than I normally share, but it also talks about some that have fallen asleep, and when they wake up, they wake up surprised. Now, before I get into the passage, I got a question for you. Did anybody notice that gas prices went up this week? Did anybody notice that? Just over the last one or two weeks, it went up from like 309 to 329, and we've kind of gotten used to that. I mean, we see it coming up and going and all that. But how many of y'all, sometimes when, when gas prices go up, you just put maybe $10 worth of gas in just to kind of get through the day or two? Does anybody do that? Because I mean, to fill up some of the big vehicles, it can be you know, $50, $60. But do we have anybody who just puts in like 10 bucks, just says, hey, this will get me through the day? Anybody? Okay, all right. Do we have anybody who's one of those gas light riders? And what I'm talking about is you know that the light's going to come on when your fuel gets to a certain point, right? So you even, you just, you know after the light comes on, I can still drive this far. Some of y'all even have a, I have a little ding in our cars, and that ding, when, once it's getting a little low, it's like, ding, you know? I actually had, I don't know if you remember these, but they were a 280ZX back in 1980s. And they were the first car that spoke to you. I don't know, now some of y'all are looking at me like that was ancient, but it was cool at the time. And if you left your door open, it'd go, bing, your door is ajar. You know, and I'd always joke with the boys, how's it ajar if it's a door? But I was single and lonely, and that was the only woman I had to talk to, okay? So, <laughs> she never got my joke. But then it would be like, ding, your lights are on. Ding, your gas is low. I heard that a lot as a teenager, you know? And it was amazing that they used a woman's voice to do that. See, it didn't intimidate me. You know, I mean, it would have been a burly guy like, hey, your gas is low. I'd have gotten gas right away, you know? But it's like, bing, gas is low. So they did away with that feature because they said that we have too many voices already speaking to us and we didn't need another one in our car. So they replaced it with a little light or a little ding. But some of us have gotten pretty used to getting how far on low can we get or is it on E and we still know that we can go a little bit more, right? I mean, all of us kind of get into that situation. And we're going to be looking at a story today. We're going to be looking at a story in Matthew 25, and we're going to be looking at the first 13 verses. And it's talking about the 10 bridesmaids or 10 virgins, it depends upon the version that you have, that are waiting for the groom to come. Now, before we even get into the passage, let me tell you a little bit about the process of that day because this would have been a very normal situation story at that time but it's a little odd to us but in that day and still in some cultures there's what's called an engagement and that engagement is when the two fathers get together and make an arrangement for a marriage 
Now, the older I get, the better that idea seems, okay? But that's a whole nother soapbox, you know? Sometimes I tell my kids, look, let me choose your mate, okay? I'm not gonna choose it on their looks. Of course, I'll give you somebody good looking, but I'm gonna just, I'm gonna pray about it. I'm gonna intercede. I'm gonna make sure that you have good grandkids. I have good grandkids, but they, they don't want to hear anything about that. So, but in the day, there was a arranged marriage and that engagement took place uh, over a period of time. Then there was a ceremony called the betrothal. And at that point, they would exchange rings, but they were not living together at that time. After the betrothal, it could be months or it could even be up to a year, but the husband would go and start preparing his house, preparing his business, getting ready so that he would then come and get his bride and take her back to that house because they didn't go off for a honeymoon, they would honeymoon there. But when the bridegroom would come for his wife, it was a celebration. It was usually done at night and there would be like this torch party and there would be word that, hey, the groom is coming, but the groom would do certain things. They would do a lot of side streets. They wouldn't just go straight over there. They would do a lot of side streets to get a lot of the town involved. This was exciting news, things were happening. And then when the bridegroom came, they all went inside, they celebrated, they feasted for several days. That bride and groom were treated like princes and princesses, and then they were left alone to have their honeymoon. That is the process at that time. So now that you kind of know what was normal during that time, let's get into today's word in Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. It starts off, when the end comes, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids. They took, their all, they took their oil lamps and went to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. And the foolish bridesmaids took their lamps, but they did not take any extra oil. The wise bridesmaids, however, took along extra oil for their lamps. Since the groom was late, all the bridesmaids became drowsy and fell asleep. Verse six, at midnight, someone shouted, the groom is here, come to meet him. Then all the bridesmaids woke up and got their lamps ready. The foolish ones said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. But the wise bridesmaids replied, we can't do that for there won't be enough for both of us. Go find someone to sell you some oil. While they were buying oil, the groom arrived, and the bridegrooms who were ready went with him into the wedding hall, and the door was shut. And later the bridesmaids arrived and said, Sir, sir, open the door for us. But he answered unto them, I don't know who you are, so stay awake, because you do not know the day or the hour. Um, this passage is, is really when story was written chapters were not included so you have to kind of look at this passage even going back to chapter 24 in Matthew when it's what's called the Olivet Discourse and the Olivet Discourse is when Jesus is on the Mount of Olives and he's talking with his disciples in fact Matthew 24 verse 3 tells us this as Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives his disciples came to him privately and said Tell us, when will this happen? What will be the sign that you are coming again? And when will the world come to an end? 
So what Jesus is talking to his disciples about in chapter 24, this is one of the three parables that Jesus shares with them. All of them are talking about getting ready for the return of Christ. You don't hear about the return of Christ much anymore in churches today. It's not a popular topic. It's not something that is a lot of books are being written about. A lot of books, and if you always want to understand where the church is today, go to the Christian bookstore and look at the number one, uh, number top ten bestseller list. And it's going to tell you where the hearts are, what people are wanting to buy. See, Stephen Cox could write an excellent book on the return of Christ, but if it's not of interest, no one's going to buy it. So publishers will say, you know, that's a great book. We just aren't really going to do that many copies of it because the demand isn't there. And it's sad as a church, this should be number one of our focuses that we are looking forward. Jesus is also talking to them, the disciples, and he says, during this time there's going to be wars of rumors and wars, there's going to be famines and earthquakes, people are going to be lovers of self, uh, wicked things are going to be considered holy. I mean, there's just he's just telling them what this is going to be, but he's saying, look, no one knows the day or the hour. Even Jesus didn't know the day or the hour. Only the Father knows the return of when he's sending Christ back to collect his church. But all three of these parables had something in common. They were all written to encourage the listeners to be ready for the kingdom of heaven. These three parables also talked about the consequences of not being ready. And all of these parables distinguished two different groups. Those that were ready and those that weren't or the foolish and the wise, or the lazy and those that were diligent. So Jesus is telling us three different times a parable about getting ready. And he's talking to the disciples that he's depending upon to build the church. You know, as a dad, and I've shared this before, I ki my kids know that if there's any time that I repeat something three times, they know it's really important to me, right? I'm going to be like, you are going to be here Thursday night, right? Yes, Dad, I will be. We're, we're reviewing now. Thursday night, you're going to be here, correct? Yes, Dad, we're going to be there. And then there's normally the day before I have to go with them one more time. You will be here Thursday night, right? Good. You see, and I know, and, and they're sensing in my, hey, this is really important to Dad. If I miss Thursday night, this is going to be some hot water that I'm going to be in. It wasn't just a casual one-time mention, hey, if you kids think about it, you know, uh, Thursday in October, I need you to be somewhere. No, Jesus is reminding them, reminding them, and reminding them. And any time something is repeated over and over and over in the Bible, it might be wise for us to pay attention, okay? It wasn't like, oh, yeah, you know, Jesus, some guy mentioned something. No, he's talking about this, but the church is not talking about this. See, that, that's what's stirring in my spirit. Jesus is talking about it, but the church isn't. And the church isn't, and, and the congregations are not. So we're looking at heaven. We're looking at the options. We're looking at being in the kingdom of heaven, being wise, being ready, being prepared. So let's take a look at the main characters of this. There obviously was the ten bridesmaids and the bridegroom. Now, the bridegroom represents Jesus, okay? In case you're trying to figure this parable, the bridegroom is representing Jesus. And in Matthew 9, 14 and 15, we have some scriptures. And here it says, Then John's disciples came to Jesus, and they said, Why do we, the Pharisees, fast often, but your disciples never do? And Jesus replied to them, Can wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? 
The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. We also see John the Baptist in John 3, 28 and 29 says, You are witnesses that said, I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. The groom is the person to whom the bride belongs. The best man who stands and listens to him is overjoyed while the groom speaks, and this is the joy that I feel. There are many, many references that we have, and we could spend a whole just showing that Jesus is the, the, the bridegroom in this story. But we also need to look at why he's the central focus. He's the central focus of the story because everyone was waiting for his return. Everyone was waiting for his return. And even though it had been delayed, the foolish were not ready. And we're going to go into that in a minute. But if Jesus is the central focus of the story, if Jesus is who they're waiting for in this story, if Jesus is the one that they need to be found, found faithful in, then why, as we as a church, are not making Jesus Christ our main focus? You see, Jesus Christ has to be the main focus. Not our buildings, not our coffee shops, not our playgrounds, not our multi-campus venues. And there's nothing wrong with that, but Jesus has to be the main focus of the church. We should be living and breathing Jesus. And when we go into conversations, it shouldn't be about the latest teaching. It should be about Jesus and his teachings. We've gotten off topic. We've gotten off topic on shiny things and great things and all of this. But Jesus needs to always be our focus. We are Christians, which means we are followers of Christ. Don't follow a religion. Don't follow a teaching. Don't follow. There are some people, I think, that worship more some of these speakers than they do Christ. And God will remove any little G-gods in your life. I've had them removed from my life, okay? I mean, there were things that I was putting in front of God, and, and God says, you know what? You, you say your heart wants to follow me, then I'm going to remove some of these things. And, and they hurt. But then you realize how dependent you were on those things. God doesn't want us dependent on anything but Him. God doesn't want us dependent on anyone's word but God's word. See, you can't take God's word and twist it and then make it pleasing to people's ears because even those teachers are going to be accountable for the teaching. That's why I try to teach just so much of the word. But we need to focus on Jesus. Your life needs to be focused around Jesus and what Jesus Christ did on the cross and what Jesus Christ has done in your life. You see, when you tell your testimony of what Jesus did in your life, no one can argue that with you. They can argue whether you're this way or this way or that way or this way, but when it comes to what Jesus Christ has done in our lives, they cannot argue. There's an old story, and I don't know if it's true or not, but it's called Non-Peg Baptist Church. And you know why they're called Non-Peg Baptist Church? Is because they had a split from the Baptist Church about coat hooks being in the foyer. And it divided the church. So this group said, we're going to leave this part of the church and we're going to open our own. And they named it Non-Peg Baptist Church. Just to be an insult to the church they left off of. We need to stop arguing about coat hooks and things in the church. And we need to realize that Jesus died for everybody. That is the main focus of the Word of God. Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, coming again. That is our focus. 
in this section, Jesus is not talking to the crowds or religious leaders. He's talking to his disciples. He's encouraging them to stay focused on his life. The bridesmaids or virgins represent professing Christians. Now, I don't like going to weddings. Kristen will tell me, oh, this wedding's going to be on Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. Does it have to be dressed up? I like Saturday mornings. It's my one day to sleep in. But when you go to a wedding, did you notice that all the bridesmaids look alike? They try to put them in the same dress. Now, it's funny, they're all different sizes. Some size, those dresses look better on certain sizes than others, but they try to make them all look alike. Okay? I've never been to a church where just or a wedding where everybody was just like, she's a bridesmaid, that's a bridesmaid. There's always that, that color, right? The dress. And it's a dress, ladies, that you get to use over and over and over again, right? I mean, no, okay, never mind. So we have 10 bridesmaids, and they all look alike, but there's a differentiation here. Because this story is telling us that five were wise, and five were foolish. But it's hard to tell by just looking at them. In fact, the only way there's going to see the differentiation between the five wise and the five foolish is with some time. Okay? And, and unfortunately for the five foolish, there was a delay. And so instead of the bridegroom coming right, you know, about 8.30 or 9 o'clock, it's actually getting closer to midnight. And so they're looking at the possession of oil. Now the oil represents to me the Holy Spirit by faith. See, the lamp is our faith. The Holy Spirit is what's empowering my faith. It's helping me stay strong, even in difficult times. The Holy Spirit comes and he comforts. It's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. He gives me strength. If you read Hebrews 11, it's by faith this happened. By faith, this happened. By faith, this happened. It's known as the faith chapter because it's by faith we serve. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we're seeing that faith, the Holy Spirit, keeps our faith going strong. But if you replace faith with good works, and that's what's burning your little lamp, Okay, first off, good works is not going to get you into heaven. Secondly, good works denies everything that Christ did on the cross and says, that wasn't good enough, you must do more. You see, this is being teached a lot in the church today that it's through works that you are saved. Now, they're not coming out and directly telling you this, but they're saying you need to do this and this and this and this, and you need to give this much amount of money, and this is the way you fulfill your commitment to the church. I am committed to Christ, not to the church, okay? Don't ever, ever, ever get anything between you and Christ. And your relationship with Christ should be number one. The church is there to help you in your relationship with Christ, but it should never be between you and Christ. And there are people that will try to position themselves between you and Christ. They will try to tell you what God is telling you. The beautiful thing about God's word and spending time is that God can speak directly to you. You don't need an intercession. You don't need a priest. You can go directly to God's word. You can directly get his direction. You don't need to run it by me to get a green light, okay? 
so we directly go when we live our faith off of good works it is not going to last to the end if your lamp is burning off of recognition of a historical figure I believe that Jesus died I believe that he was a prophet I believe that he lived that is not going to get you into heaven because the Bible even tells us that the demons know of Jesus okay that's not getting them into heaven if it's not getting them into heaven your knowledge your intellect of Jesus of, of being a historical figure is not going to get you into heaven it is the relationship with Jesus Christ okay it's the knowing him and when you look at when he says I never knew you you look at that term knew during that time was having an intimacy just like a man would know a woman there has to be an intimacy and not just a knowledge and what we have is a lot of people walking around today with a knowledge of Jesus Christ but they don't have that relationship they don't have that passion the scary thing is though they look like all the other bridesmaids and I could have gotten ten bridesmaids up here put them all in the same dress and said now five of these are wise and five of these are foolish why don't you pick out the months it would be long time pressed before you figure out who was wise or who was foolish in that analogy what is lighting our lamp it has to be the Holy Spirit and it has to be the Holy Spirit alive in our lives see 1 Corinthians 6 19 20 says do you not know that your body is a temple that belongs to the Holy Spirit if we realize that our body was a temple of the Holy Spirit we may not do some things to our body that we're doing to it the Holy Spirit whom you received from God lives in you you don't belong to yourselves you were bought for a price so bring glory to God in the way you use your body there are professing Christians today who go to church, who are going through the motions, who are going through the actions, but do not have that relationship with Jesus Christ. You can see it in their fruit. You can always gauge a tree by its fruit. There can be beautiful fruit, but the taste of it's bitter, because that's what's stirring inside of them. Anger, bitterness, resentment, frustration, doubt, all of these things but then there's the fruit that's joy peace and long-suffering and you're like this is this is a taste of God because I just love being around that person they reflect Christ so much they're always forgiving they're always merciful they love me regardless that is what the world is looking for in the church today They don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have that relationship. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14 says, You heard and believed the message of truth, the good news that he has saved you. In him you were sealed with the Holy Spirit whom he promised. This Holy Spirit is a guarantee that we will receive our inheritance. We have this guarantee until we are set free to belong to him. God receives praise and glory for this. You see, the Holy Spirit is perfecting and moving in me and strengthening me through my difficult times. I don't know what certain people in this world would do without Christ in their life. I truly don't. I mean, I see the, the, the 
the darkness that they, they have to live in or work in or were born into and to not have the hope that my sins were forgiven would be a horrific point each day that I'd have to deal with. One of the great things that we learned Thursday night in that teaching is that when Christ died, our sins were completely forgiven. We know that. When you think back on your past, you're thinking back on something that no longer exists. So you're looking back on something that's a lie. And when you come into agreement with a liar, you start to believe the lies. You following this? You see, the Word of God tells us that our past is forgiven and it's deleted and removed. Satan comes into your life and tries to remind you of your past, all the horrible, wicked, wicked things that you did, and instead of reminding Satan that that was forgiven and it no longer exists, we start dwelling on it. Once we start dwelling on it, we come into more unity with Satan than we did with the Word of God. Who are we coming into agreement with? See, the Word of God is saying, you are forgiven. Satan is trying to tell you, oh, it's still lingering there. Look at the horrible thing you did. That's still inside you. No, I am a new creation. All things are passed away. See, you have to have the Word of God when you're going through those moments when you're all alone. You may be having a conversation with yourself in the car, and Satan is trying to come in and bombard you with all the negative things that are happening in your life. And that's when you have to have that word inside of you that says, you know what, just get me behind me, Satan. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. For I am the head and not the tail, and I will lend and not borrow. I start just going through the word of God when I know that I'm struggling with Satan because he's trying to remind me of my past. And then just remind him of his future. The last five words of the five foolish bridesmaids spoken are very similar to another passage told in Matthew 7. In the story, the five foolish bridesmaids arrived and the bridegroom had already entered and come, came in and the door was locked. And in Matthew 25, verse 11 and 12, we looked at this earlier, but it says, Later, the other bridesmaids arrived and said, Sir, sir, open the door for us. But he answered them and he said, I don't know who you are, so stay awake because you do not know the day or the hour. Let's look at Matthew 7, verses 21 and 23. And it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the person who does what my Father in heaven wants. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, and didn't we force out demons and do miracles by the power of the authority of your name? And then I will tell them publicly, I never no, I, I've never known you. Get away from me, you evil people. This is a very harsh passage. Because see, we like to think once saved, always saved. Or, or man, when I, was, when I was seven, Lord, I, I accepted you. And, and I know I haven't lived for you all this time, but I did put a bumper sticker once on my car. And that should count for something. And what he's saying is that at that time, it's going to be those who know him. Those that stayed awake. Those that were prepared. Those that were living with the Holy Spirit being sensitive, that really had the focus of their life on Jesus Christ and not the focus on themselves. See, the, the great thing about God is He knows where our life is focused. If our life is focused on the things of this world, He knows that that's our God. But when we wake up and say, God, would you give me the opportunity to share your word today? 
Would you give me the opportunity to show mercy and grace to someone today? Would you show me someone that I could pray for today? Lord, would you make this day more about you and less about me? ready to do that. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. The Spirit will give you the words. I know this happens so many times because I hear myself sometimes saying something and I'm thinking, I'm not that smart. I know that the Spirit is speaking through me. I know that the Word is giving me knowledge. It's not about me. It's about Him living through me. We were never created to be a lake. This is what we're learning in this lesson on Thursday nights. We were created to be a river. Everything should be flowing through us. Everything should be flowing through us. The blessings should be flowing through us to others. Mercy should be flowing through us to others. Forgiveness should be flowing through us to others. Joy should be flowing through us. Long-suffering should be flowing through us. just putting five or ten dollars worth of gas in their car saying I just want five dollars worth of Jesus I don't want to fill up I, I, I don't want that much of God in me I just want enough to get through this situation I don't want us to be a congregation that just gets five dollars worth of Jesus and we're happy with it I want our tanks continually to be filled I want our tanks to be so filled that we start flowing into other people's tanks and they start just hanging around you because they sense God so much in your life. In fact, they would rather be with you than their family members because their family members are telling them all the wrong things about their life, and you're encouraging them all the good things that God thinks about them constantly. People need joy. People need hope, and they will go anywhere to find it. And there is a lot of counterfeit hope out there today. There's a lot of counterfeit joy out there today. If you have to buy it, it's not real. I'm going to say that again because that really needs to sink in. If you have to buy it, it's not real. Think of the things in your life right now that are bringing you joy, and if you're buying them, that's not true joy. True joy comes from our relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? A lot of people are thinking... They have more time. Matthew 25, 5 says, Since the groom was late, all the bridesmaids became drowsy and fell asleep. We'll get our oil in the morning. I'll get things straight with Christ when I'm older. I want to live a little life now, and I'll do it later. Unfortunately, yesterday I preached a funeral of a 25-year-old who always thought that he would have more time. 25. Now that I'm mid middle age, <laughs> you know, 25 still seems like a kid. You never know the day. In fact, in my message yesterday, I got to share the gospel with them. I said, you know, in our lives, we measure things in years. 
right? Even back today when Dino was up here and we were singing to him, there was kind of this pressure to say, well, how, how, how many years have you been here? Okay, and we joke about it. But do you know that the Word of God says for us to measure our lives in days? We're to measure our life in days, not years, because we don't know what tomorrow holds. Now, you may be saying, Pastor, why are you preaching this to me? Because I come here every week. I'm really faithful. I set up. I tear down. I do everything you ask to do. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm very assured of that. I'll even wear one of your t-shirts if you need me to. Because we live in a world that doesn't know Christ. Some of us have gone asleep realizing that Christ is coming back. There are students on your campus, there are co-workers, there are neighbors, there are family members that you need to be praying for. You need to be interceding for. I'm too busy. No, you're not that busy. You need to be spending time on what your focus in life is. We as a church have to start focusing on the needs of our community and not just getting together every Sunday and hearing some great music and, and hopefully having a good message and then saying, okay, that's it till next Sunday. We need to be living the life of a Christian 24-7, interceding, praying, sharing. Today I even brought some more, let me, let me kind of tell you what happened about two weeks ago. I'm going to confess one of my sins to you, okay? Now somebody woke up. Um, I didn't have any church cards with me. And uh, one day God sent a few people into my life. I needed church cards. I, I talked to them about Christ. I talked, but they said, well, where's your church at? There. There, Cantigo. You know, Cantigo's not that big, right, Bill? I mean, they should be able to find us, right? So God challenged me and said, you're not prepared. Why should I bless you if you're not prepared? So I have business cards with me. I have business cards in my car. Guess what? Next day, now, I have cards. God sends people into my life. I mean, these people are coming out of the woodwork. And all of a sudden, I mean, we could be standing in line, and all of a sudden, they start breaking down in tears and telling about how horrible their life is. And I'm like, Christ loves you. But if having a card isn't even a thought process, is God really going to send people into our lives to invite them? The card does not represent the gospel message. The card is a way of inviting them so that we can love on them so that we can pray with them, that we can become a part of their life if they'd like for us to be, that we can share hope with them. Yes, you can share hope in the middle of Target or in a park, but also they need to be brought in and loved because everybody's looking for love and acceptance. So I carry cards with me now because I want God to use me each day. We don't know how many people we meet each day that God has already numbered their days, and they don't have that many days left. That's why I'm preaching this message to us today. Not that I'm concerned about your salvation. I'm fairly well familiar with most of you know that you have a relationship.
but I don't want us to be the bridesmaids that are falling asleep. I don't want us to be the ones that aren't prepared. I don't want us to be the ones that are, are not using the oil that we should be using that will last. Some people are asking, why is it taking so long? 2 Peter 3, verses 3 through 9 tells us this. First, you must understand this, that in the last days, people who follow their own desires will appear. These disrespectful people will ridicule God's promise by saying, what happened to the promise of his return? Ever since our ancestors died, everything continues as it did from the beginning of the world. They are deliberately ignoring one fact. Because of God's word, heaven and earth existed a long time ago. The earth appeared out of water and was kept alive by water. Water also flooded and destroyed that world. By God's word, the present heaven and earth are designated to be burned, and they are being kept until the day ungodly people will be judged and destroyed. Dear friends, do not ignore this fact that one day with the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow to do what he has promised. Wow. The Lord is not slow to do what he has promised. How many of us have gotten frustrated when a promise that we believe from God has not fulfilled in the time that we wanted it to happen? As some people think, rather he is patiently for your sake. He does not want to destroy anyone, but wants all people, all people, to have an opportunity to turn to him and change the way they think and act. You see, we need to realize that the day of the Lord is coming quickly and it's coming unexpectedly. It is going to come as a flash of light. In Matthew 25, verses 6 through 12, it was we read earlier, but we see that passage where they were not ready when the bridegroom showed. All of those bridesmaids had plenty of time to prepare. All of them had time to prepare. Five of them were, five of them were not. And now Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, 36, No one knows when the day or hour will come. Even the angels in heaven and the sun don't know. Only the Father knows. You see, it's not knowing about the day or the hour. It's about being awake and prepared. That's what God is speaking to me in this, this year, that we need to arise. We need to awake. We need to shake off the sleepiness. We need to become focused on this day. And He is coming quickly. Each of us have an unlimited amount of time to prepare to be Christ. So questions. If Jesus came for you right now, would you be ready? Would you be able to enter into him, into the wedding banquet? Or would you be preparing to try to get the oil that you need? I want us to be prepared. I want us to be prepared for the move of God. I want us to be prepared to be used by God, however he chooses to use us. Whether it's through evangelism, whether it's just through showing love and affection to people, whether it's to be there when people are hurting, breaking out of our comfort zone, being there for people when they need them, even if it's a Thursday night at 11.30 at night and it's just not a good time for you, that's when we're to be the hands and feet of Jesus. This was a very hard message for me to preach today. Because normally I like just to encourage you in the Word. I love to teach you who you are in Christ. Power and the authority, but 
we also have to realize that Christ is turning and returning again. And it has to be the focus of our lives. And I don't want to stand before Christ one day and say, you know what, Pastor, or uh, God, I, I got to pastor these people for so many years. And he'll say, did you ever teach them about my second coming? Well, no, I kind of stayed away from those passages, but I, I went through all the blessings. No, did you ever teach him about me coming back again? Well, you know, I, 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 did a, I did a summary of the New Testament for them. No, did you talk to them about coming back again? Christ is coming again. And I want us to be prepared, and I want us to prepare the hearts of people that has been brought into our lives. I'd like for all of us just to close our heads, close our, bow our heads, close our eyes. Now you can close your heads. Now that you listen to me, close your heads. You know people are asleep when you say, now I'd like for everybody to open their eyes. But I'd really just ask you to focus on what has been the main focus of your life. Are you living your life for yourself? Or are you living your life for Christ? Even this past week, were your actions just for yourself, or did they impact others? Have we ever prayed, God, would you use me to impact my workplace? God, would you use me on this campus? God, would you allow me to love my neighbors? These are questions that we need to ask ourselves. don't like the answers, today is the day to change. Today is the day that we have the opportunity to ask God, prepare our hearts so that we can touch more people this year than we've ever touched before. How great would it be at the end of this year to, to look down the aisle that you're sitting and say, you know what, this family is becoming because God allowed me to share love with them. But whether they're attending here or any other church, just to see that lives have been changed this year because God used us because we were bold enough to ask him to use us to shake off anything in this world that's not pleasing to him and to have love the way he loves to have mercy the way he has been merciful to us to forgive others the way that we have been forgiven Father, we come before you. We lay ourselves before you as a sacrifice. And we ask God that if we have had the wrong oil in our lamps of faith, that you would replace that today. Strengthen us in the Holy Spirit. Guide and direct and lead us like you've never led us before. I pray, God, that you would send people into our lives this week that we can minister to that we can love, that we can encourage, that we can be Christ too. Lord, open our eyes so that we can see those who are hurting. 
Open our hear ears so we can hear the words. Open our hearts so that we would care about those that are surrounding us each day. I pray that our spirit would become so sensitive that we would understand the hurt or even the evil when we walk into a place and we would understand the prayers that we need to be praying. I ask God that you would increase our influence in our worlds, that you would increase our influence with the people, that our words would have weight to them because we're speaking the words of the Spirit. I ask God that you would change our lives, change our priorities, and anything that's not pleasing to you. I ask God that you would remove anything from our schedules that has taken away our time with you. I thank you, God, for giving us a message of hope, for giving us a message of love, and that message is Jesus Christ, and that he came and he died on a cross for us, and he rose again, and that we are expecting his return. And although we don't know the day or the hour, may we live in constant awareness of his return. That today could be our last day. Father, help us to share that love with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I told you God is doing something in our lives, in this church. Sometimes that's going to challenge us to do things that we don't normally do. But I think if we realize our focus is on Christ and his return, we see the importance of bringing those who need a Savior into that relationship. If you all would stand, I'd like to speak a blessing over you as we dismiss. I'd like to remind you that the youth are going to be meeting Thursday night. I'd love to invite you this Thursday night to the Nose House. It's just two or three blocks south of here. It's phenomenal teaching. Um, I think we had about 16 or 17 in there, and, and there's always room for one or two more, so please come. We'd love to see you. According to God's word, may the Lord bless you and may he protect you. And may the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you his favor and may he give you his peace. So we go now in his peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for coming. We love you so very, very much.